My name's Will DeFreeze, and this is the Sunday Scaries Podcast, your cure for the Sunday blues. What does your morning routine look like? On the surface, mine seems fairly simple, but seems to have gotten a little complicated the more I spell out every step. On weekday mornings, I wake up somewhere between 6 and 6.30. I wish I could say that that's a natural wake up with no alarm clock, but I admittedly wake up at that time because my wife goes to work much earlier than I do every day. After trying to avoid my phone for a bit, I normally cave just to make sure the world didn't end overnight. Unfortunately, Twitter always doesn't really reassure me of that. I found that my most creative and productive moments occur before I burn myself out throughout the day, so I often open my laptop a bit faster than most experts would recommend, especially that early in the morning. Whether I'm writing or designing something in Photoshop, you can pretty much block off 7 to 9 every single day for pure creative alone time for me. Of course, I do need fuel in order to do this. On my motivated days, I make a single cup of coffee with my AeroPress after feeding my dog, and on my lazier days, or my more lethargic ones, I find myself skewing simply towards making a tea with a splash of milk. At this point, my laptop normally needs a charge, which means I need a shower. And after letting my dog out, it's I'm off to the races where I find myself listening to a podcast or jazz on my short commute. While I don't necessarily think this is the healthiest or smartest routine, it's a cadence that I've found myself more and more comfortable falling into. I feel a significant amount of guilt later in the day when I clock out a bit earlier because I just really don't like starting work after 7 o'clock at this point but the morning sense of accomplishment normally outweighs that guilt. As I went through the very routine one recent morning, I couldn't help but allow my brain to go into BuzzFeed mode and think, I wonder what super successful people do in the morning, because you always see those columns pop up on your timeline. And as you can expect from the all too predictable internet, hundreds of articles popped up about the very routines of celebrities, founders, and socialites alike that they partake in in the morning after morning after morning after morning. And all these routines, are they fairly aggressive? Well, yeah. Do I believe that these celebrities actually do these routines every morning? Absolutely not. But without further ado, here are some of those routines. Let's start with Victoria Beckham. She says that she does two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar in her signature green monster breakfast smoothie made with apples, kiwi, lemon, spinach, broccoli, and chia seeds. If you're not familiar with why people do apple cider vinegar in the morning, you're not alone. It's something that somebody told me to do a long time ago, but something I never really got on board with. It helps with digestion by encouraging the growth of healthy gut bacteria, but make sure to dilute it a little bit rather than just taking tablespoons of doing of it or doing shots of it. It just doesn't really work like that. The acidity can really mess up your throat and something a Spice Girl may want to be more cognizant of com- considering she ki- does kind of uh, sing for a living, but you know, I'm not going to p- put any judgment on her because I do think she's doing just fine in life, especially compared to someone like me. We also have Martha Stewart. She also starts with green juice in the morning. She says she has a vegetable greenhouse where she grows her spinach, celery, and parsley. Even the arugula that goes in the green juice and other kinds of strong lettuces, she also grows herself. She also says that she buys organic cucumbers and pomegranate goes in there too. But that's her green juice and that's an aging essential part of her everyday diet because it really does help her. She also rides horseback in the morning, which is something I don't think all of us can relate to, but that's neither really here or there. If I had my own vegetable greenhouse filled with every green my heart could desire, yeah, I'd probably be a little bit more motivated to make a smoothie every morning. But as for the horseback riding, I really don't see a scenario where that's in play for me either. Model Rosie Huntington-Whiteley wakes up at 6 a.m., spends time with her dogs in bed, does a morning skincare routine, chugs a bottle of water while making coffee, and that's pretty much it. 
She does note that for breakfast she'll have scrambled eggs on toast or yogurt with a handful of granola, preferably paleo, which I don't really know how you make paleo granola, but I don't really know much about paleo, so I guess it doesn't really matter. She also adds some mixed berries and maybe a breakfast muffin, which is also paleo, and a green juice. And while I never expected this to be the case, this is perhaps the most similar to my routine than anyone else will hear about today. I definitely skew towards skipping breakfast in favor of waiting for a big lunch to break my fast, but some mixed berries and granola also sound right up my alley, and the part about waking up with your dog and spending some time there, that's pretty much on par for me. We also have Jennifer Aniston. She wakes up between 4.30 a.m. and 9 a.m., which seems like a big range, but oh, whatever. She begins with a cup of hot water and lemon, followed by a quick skincare routine, meditation, a breakfast smoothie, and then a workout. From my research, her workouts don't seem to be much of a joke, which makes sense because she looks younger at 51 than I look at 34. 4.30 a.m. wake up, eh, no thank you though. The meditation, on the other hand, is something I should probably adopt in some capacity considering how many days I just pretty much skip it because I didn't prioritize it early on enough. Barack Obama, he's got a routine that is not really all that surprising when it comes to him. He gets his typical five hours of sleep, he avoids the highly caffeinated drinks like coffee and stuff like that, and he opts for a green tea, orange juice, or just a water. This is then followed by strength training or cardio as soon as he wakes up, and while the five hours of sleep is certainly a flex on all of us who can barely function with less than eight, his routine is actually more modest for a former president than I probably anticipated before, but if anyone deserves time off, it's probably a former president. We also have Queen Elizabeth. One publication noted that Her Majesty wakes up at 7.30 a.m. and takes her Twining's English breakfast tea in a bone china cup and saucer, served with milk, no sugar, and Mary cookies, or Marie cookies, I don't know how to pronounce these British cookies, that are brought into her room by a maid. I think out of all of them, I think this one's probably the one that we can all relate the least to, but she does note that after a bath, she joins her husband, Prince Philip, for cereal, apparently cornflakes, which is kept in Tupperware containers. Out of everyone, the Queen of England is probably the person who can get away with eating cookies in the morning while surrounded by our corgis. Most of us don't have the luxury of taking an extended, relaxing bath in the morning, but most of us also don't have the luxuries afforded to the Queen of England anyway. We also have Steve Jobs, who in his day, uh, he actually did a speech for the graduating class of Stanford, and he said that, quote, For the past 33 years, I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to be doing what I'm doing today? And whenever the answer is no for too many days in a row, he knows that he needs to change something. Steve Jobs was likely in a different position than most of us were at this point in our lives, because if most of us woke up and asked that very question to ourselves every day, we'd probably begin hating our jobs more than we already do. And then we have Richard Branson, who owns his own private island, so he kind of sets himself apart here. He says that he takes a dip in the ocean, swims the parameter of the, the island, and then does a spot of kite surfing before finishing with some tennis. Okay, so yeah, maybe celebrities really are that different than us. With the new year here, and many of us ready for a fresh, clean start, our sponsor Grove Collaborative wants to help start the year off right by making it easy to shop for natural household products. Grove is an online marketplace for sustainable home essentials delivered to your doorstep. Grove Collaborative takes the guesswork out of going green. Browse the site for thousands of home, beauty, and personal care products, all guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and the planet. With Grove, I didn't have to shop multiple stores or search endlessly online to get all the natural goods I needed to switch my old cleaning supplies to my new natural cleaning supplies. And now, I've completely reduced my trips to the store because I can get it all in one place without any of the hassle. Grove has simplified my Sunday routine, and they can simplify yours too. They also want to make it as easy as possible for you to make the switch to natural products so they carry brands you know and love like Mrs. Meyer's 7th Generation, Method, and Burt's Bees, 
as well as their best-selling Grove-made products like Seedling Tree-Free Paper Towels, their Grove Laundry Detergent Dispenser that cuts plastic waste by 80% and 100% recycled trash bags all in one place at Grove.co. The only thing cleaner than your apartment after your Grove packages arrive is their easy-to-navigate website, plus shipping is fast and free on your first order. Make your home healthier this new year. For a limited time, when my listeners go to grove.co slash scaries, you will get a free Mrs. Meyers gift set plus free shipping on your first order. That's a $30 value. But you have to go and use our special code, so go to grove.co slash scaries to get this exclusive offer. That's grove.co slash scaries. None of us are averse to self-destructive behavior. If you were, you probably wouldn't be listening to a podcast called The Sunday Scaries Podcast. For me, it's normally that third martini at dinner that I never really needed in the first place. But for others, it's a skipped workout, fast food instead of the arugula you bought last week, or a reckless 2 a.m. purchase on Ambien. But lately, I've begun engaging in something that's so destructive that I feel as though I'm throwing hours out the window night in and night out. Long after the sun's gone down, I found myself staring at my phone and racking up minutes on my daily screen time. Before I know it, it's gone from 10.30 to 1 a.m. in what feels like only about 15 minutes. My name's Will DeFreeze, and I'm addicted to relaxing TikTok videos. I know, I know you may be thinking, but Will, if they relax you, why do you feel like this is destructive behavior? And that's probably a fair point. My life has largely been one long quest to put myself in the most relaxing situations as possible while doing the minimum to get there, and so far it's actually somewhat kind of worked. TikTok, though, is kind of a completely different beast. Admittedly, no. I'm no expert in the app. I've made two TikToks myself, neither of which can actually be found on the app anymore, and that's for good reason. I only follow a handful of people because I'm in my 30s, and I actually get most of my TikTok viewing in from people reposting them on Twitter or Instagram, so not the app itself. It wasn't until the, um, probably the last month or so that I've gone all in on actually using the app. What's mostly existed on my phone without being used has now skyrocketed up my screen time rankings. I feel at home while swiping my For You feed, and if, you do, if you've ever used the app, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In the beginning, it was kind of what you'd expect. A bunch of teenage girls doing choreographed dances to songs I'll discover two months from now. Rednecks cracking beers in fields with their trucks just blasting pop country while they try to look cool. Dudes with shitty haircuts working out together in mansions bought in LA for them. One night a week ago, though, everything just kind of changed. As I trudged through a bunch of Gen Zers dancing, a video came across my feed that changed the way I look at TikTok forever. It began with an overhead shot of a towel laying on a flat surface. Before I knew it, two hands entered the frame and started folding it at a place that I could, at a pace that I could hardly even keep up with myself. Less than 10 seconds later, the towel was perfectly folded in a way that you'd only see towels folded in five-star hotels. I couldn't help myself. Not only did I watch this person fold the same towel over and over and over again, but I got lost in their feed to the point of no return. I was lost in their profile in a way that I never expected. As the clock approached midnight, I didn't even realize it. I couldn't help but find myself looking at the related profiles of this towel revolutionary. Machines slowly crushing things that definitely shouldn't be crushed. Sand sculptures being gently built only to get gently smushed too. Middle-aged men cleaning up the edges of their lawns. I had officially gone from the absolute worst part of TikTok to a place that was seemingly the exact opposite. I opened myself up to a new world, but at what cost? The very next night, the 3 p.m. coffee I had began to haunt me. Any coffee after 9 a.m. keeps me up at this point, but I didn't really care. I needed my fill of relaxing TikToks on this particular night. After hesitantly opening from the dark of my apartment, it began again. A window washer making designs with only soap and water. 
ways to reuse my scented candle containers, pharmacists sorting pills that weirdly doubled as ASMR. I even started watching artists using pottery wheels, something I hated doing myself in high school. And again, in what felt like a blink of an eye, my life went from going to bed at a reasonable hour to knowing that I'd wake up feeling groggy the next day for how late I'd stayed up. And at the end of all of it, did I feel more relaxed? Well, the short answer is really just no. Despite these small 15-second injections of zen, my eyes felt dried out from looking at my phone for so long. Dread overcame me thinking about how miserable I was going to be from getting only five hours of sleep like Barack Obama. I set my phone down on my bedside table, rolled over, and fell asleep dreaming of sand sculptures being crushed again. I was addicted, yet I was unwilling to admit it to myself. It wasn't until Sunday that I realized the problem had become a problem. Normally, I spend my Sunday mornings drinking coffee, watching soccer, and promoting this very podcast. My screen time notifications, they come and go these days without much thought behind them. If I'm in the two hours or less range, I'm good. I'm very happy about that. Three hours, I should probably be a little more cognizant throughout the week. But this particular Sunday, I saw something I hadn't seen but since before I read a book about quitting my phone. I saw my screen time escalate to over six hours per day. A fourth of my day wasted staring into the abyss that is my iPhone. Combined, it's a 40-hour work week of looking at my phone with two hours of overtime mixed in, none of which I was getting paid for. Not only had my TikTok gone up by about 500%, but it trickled down to my other apps. Instagram, I was on about 50% more than usual. Twitter, about 30% more than usual. And Snapchat, well, actually, no one really uses that in any way in the first place, so that didn't really change. For the remainder of the day, I told myself to stay as far away from my phone as possible. Text from your laptop if you need to, I told myself. Leave it charging while you go walk the dog, I bargained. But as I got in bed that very night, I saw my phone staring back at me knowing that there was blood in the water. And as I'd opened the dreaded app again and saw someone doing the most perfect calligraphy I'd ever seen, I had a realization that I'm completely addicted to these satisfying TikToks. And unfortunately, much like how their For You feed is designed, I don't think there's any end in sight. This week's episode is also presented by Roman. A healthy life includes a healthy sex life, but if you struggle with erectile dysfunction, you may not feel like your best self. If you want help with ED, Roman connects you with a real U.S. licensed healthcare professional who can prescribe the medicine you need. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship you real medicine with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and most of all, discreet. Getting started is even simpler. Just go to GetRoman.com scaries and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to talk about, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com scaries to get up to $15 off your first month of ED treatment, a free online visit, and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com scaries for up to $15 off your first month of ED treatment. GetRoman.com scaries. I was a reckless 23-year-old who valued nights out over his job. I think we can relate to that. It had been explained to us days before that we needed to be on our best behavior at work that week, but I had the perfect storm rolling in. Ideal summer weather, a longtime friend coming to town for the first time in forever, a cabin, some Labatt, and a big bottle of whiskey. One thing led to another, and yes, I arrived at work with an unspeakable hangover that gives me chills to this day. Within five minutes of being in the office, I heard her say it to me, come with me. 
I knew something was wrong, or in my case, there were a lot of things wrong. She led me somewhere away from where everyone else was and bluntly told me, we need to clean you up. And she was absolutely right. The headache, the half-tucked-in shirt, the smell of early times bourbon on my breath. Cleaning me up wasn't something she's necessarily wanted to do, but it's something she knew had, she had the mutual obligation to do, and that's what was most important. When you're hungover at the office, there are so many things that you can do in order to remedy it. You may have some Advil liquid gels stowed away in your desk to get rid of your one too many glasses headache. Perhaps you need the big guns, a venti coffee from Starbucks and a large Gatorade from a convenience store. Bonus points if you drop some Alka-Seltzer in that Gatorade too. That's a little trick that I've been using for years. But once every so often, work hangovers can reach a boiling point where you simply can't go about them alone. Whether you're hungover with them or simply using them as a crutch, there's always one person in the office who you know you can trust, and that person is your work spouse. The idea of a work spouse has been a longtime office trope that's magnified by, well, the show The Office. What started as a playful work friendship for Jim and Pam eventually pushed the limits of HR, but I think we can all agree that these two, in their most basic form, started as work spouses with one another before becoming, well, actual spouses. If you're unfamiliar with the concept, it can be for a few reasons. The first, you've just never worked in a traditional office setting. That's fine. The second is the dynamics of your office have never put you in a position to bond with someone on that level. Or the third, it's just been so long since we've all been in offices that you've completely forgotten the feeling of your corporate security blanket. In the most generic way possible, CNN spelled out their seven signs you have a work spouse back in 2007. Here are those seven signs, read verbatim from that article. The first, you depend on a particular coworker for office supplies, snacks, and aspirin. Makes sense. There are inside jokes that you and your specific coworker share. Very true, mostly over slack. You can be bluntly honest with this person about his or her appearance, hygiene, or hair, or vice versa. When something eventful happens at work, this coworker is the first person you seek out for a debriefing. At breakfast, lunch, or coffee breaks, your closest coworker knows what to do for you and how you like your coffee, and vice versa. You and your coworker can finish each other's sentences, or someone in your office knows almost as much about your personal life as your best friend or your real-life spouse does. If any of those stick out to you, then I have news for you. You definitely have a work spouse. During one of those bullet points, there was probably a moment where someone specific popped into your head, and honestly, whether you have an actual work spouse or not, that's completely okay. Even before we were banished from offices everywhere, I've always been fascinated by the dynamic of an office setting in general. You spend a 30-year day somewhere where you don't, you don't, really just don't want to be, and you're surrounded by people who largely weren't chosen by you. You spend more time with them than you do your friends, your family, and possibly even your spouse or the people that you live with. The ins and outs of everyone's life are evident but it's somewhat taboo to talk about them out in the open despite how much time you're spending with these people. You keep everyone at an arm's reach for fear of repercussions. It's really just not a healthy place to be when you think about it. But as terrible as all that sounds, there are things that actually are worth missing these days, and namely that work-spouse relationship that we've all bonded, bonded over in some capacity. In an article titled Admit It, You, work, you Miss Your Work Spouse, published by the Washington Post in October, the author offers a much more realistic view of the work spouse or lack thereof these days. She said, when the coronavirus pandemic sent many coworkers home, it threw these twosomes for a loop. Much of the joy and synchronicity of the work spouse relationship came from having a similar mission while dealing with shared challenges. That chatty coworker in the next cubicle, an unreasonable boss or an over air conditioned office. The proximity of an office means that it doesn't take much planning to meet up for a coffee, lunch, or happy hour. Or just shoot a glance and know, without saying a word, what your work spouse is thinking. And I think this all makes sense, especially if you've had one before. Really, it's just a deep-rooted friendship that's now left to void in our everyday lives whether we realize it or not. 
I miss the Slack conversations after a particularly awkward meeting. Can you believe they just said that you type immediately following? I wasn't going to have a drink tonight, but after that, I think I have to, you respond. You agree on nearly everything, which is why you talk about nearly everything. When it comes to the relationship you forge with your work spouse, nothing is off limits. Running a few minutes late on your way in, they'll keep an eye out for you and make sure you have an excuse if someone presses on it. Need an extended lunch break where you need to get convinced not to quit your job? Fear not, they've got you on some overpriced sweet green. Even if it's just a quick edit on an important email, it doesn't feel as close or convenient anymore as it used to. They're a second pair of eyes on everything, not just your work, but on your entire life. They're a big glass of wine at happy hour. They're the reason everyone knows it's your birthday. They're why you didn't get fired back in 2010 for having the smell of whiskey on your breath when you took things too far the night before. Of course, the quality of life is much better for a lot of corporate, a lot of the corporate workforce these days. No commute, fewer meetings, shorter days, the list really goes on. But in our newfound solitude, there's one thing that rings true. Trudging through a workday hungover is a lot less fun when you're going at it alone, whether you've got a venti iced coffee or a Gatorade by your side or not. If you liked what you heard today, make sure to subscribe, review, or tell a friend in need about this podcast. By subscribing, you guarantee that each and every episode gets delivered directly to your phone every Sunday morning. You can also follow along on Twitter, at SundayScaries, and Instagram, which is at Sunday.Scaries, or you can follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at WillDeFreeze. And remember, always trim the wicks on your scented candles. See you next Sunday. <laughs>